Today, we're going to have an interview with my friend and colleague for over 30 years, Dr. Jim Peel. Jim has trained thousands of executives and health professionals and worked with hundreds of corporate teams from around the world to increase productivity and humanistic outlook. You're going to want to listen to this and enjoy it. Stay tuned for the interview with Dr. Jim Peel. But first, news and notes in psychology and medicine. Something sort of cute that came over the wire. The gas best known for being used in many stink bombs may also control blood pressure. Yep, small amounts of hydrogen sulfide, a toxic gas generated by bacteria living in the human gut, are responsible for the foul odor of our flatulence. But it seems the gas is also produced by an enzyme in blood vessels where it relaxes them and lowers blood pressure. The findings, so far in mice, may lead to new treatments for high blood pressure, the journal reported. Yep, Johns Hopkins University found that the gas is produced in the cells that line blood vessels. It's an enzyme called CSE. So stay tuned for how your flatulence may be involved with your blood pressure. Hope you get a kick out of that. On another note, a research project, a recent one, indicates that out of 168 hours in a week, we spend more than 50 with devices. Well, according to Douglas Gentili, a professor of psychology at Iowa State University, he has studied how much time on a screen affects children. The work week still takes up to 40 hours of our 168-hour week. Sleep at night is seven or eight hours, so that's 49. And if we assume that personal care, such as eating, bathing, dressing, preparing for food, sexual activity, is three hours a day, then we have 58 hours a week left for everything else. Everything else, says Dr. Gentili. Everything else includes hobbies, sports, spending time with children, spending time with friends, romantic partners, reading, learning, exercise, participating in a faithful community, volunteer work, house maintenance. Well, if we've got 58 hours for all of that, and we're spending 50 of the 58 watching a screen of some kind, a television screen, a computer screen, a smartphone screen, then there's really no time left over for all the other things that we value. How are you all dealing with this? How are you dealing with this? How are you dealing with having so little time left over after sleeping and working? And of course, they didn't even mention commu commuting. And then you have to eat and prepare some food and bathe and dress. If you spend 50 hours, if each of us is now spending 50 hours a week on these screens, what's left for the rest of life? Wow. Something for us to be talking about, huh? Something to consider? Are we addicted to these things? Am I addicted to my screen? I guess, you know, if I did anything else for 50 hours a week, I might consider it an addiction. I have to give that one a lot of thought. And here's something else I've been thinking 
a lot about and want to communicate to you all. It's about fear and anxiety. Fear and anxiety are words that we've created to verbally communicate sensations that we're experiencing inside of ourselves. While the sensations which evoke the words fear and anxiety are similar, their causes are quite distinct. We experience fear when there really is something external to the self that is fear-inducing. The classic example of fear is seeing a bear in the woods. A high percentage of humans have a fear response to seeing a bear. You see a bear, you get scared. Again, fear thus is felt inside when there's something fearful present in our environment. Now, anxiety, on the other hand, has no external cause. Anxiety can be generated while in the physically, emotionally safest of all situations. We, we can be sitting in a room that's 10 feet wide walls of cement, 10 feet wide ceiling, 10 feet wide floor, all cement. We can have oxygen, food, toilet, everything you need in the room and still make ourselves anxious. We can get anxious from inside. Anxiety gives us a physical feeling that something bad is going to happen. It's been described as imminent doom. But we have no idea of what's going to happen or when it's going to happen. So that's the difference. Fear can generate anxiety. Fear is of something. Anxiety we create inside. After seeing a bear a certain number of times and getting scared, one becomes fearful of seeing a bear, even when there are no bears around. We can then be afraid of a bear even in a zoo. We can get scared if we see a bear on television. Perpetrate dramatically fearful events way beyond a bear, such as beheadings, immolations, bombings on a random basis over a period of time, and a high percentage of us will be experiencing fear, anxiety, or both on a chronic basis. Psychologists call this post-traumatic stress disorder. You've all heard about that. You've been afraid over and over until the fear becomes anxiety. There really is no shooting going on. You hear a firecracker go off and you lay down on the ground or hide behind a tree. This is the psychological basis of political terrorism. Terrorists want to create severe psychological panic, anxiety in the citizenry. Turning on the TV, one sees story after story and picture after picture of police, some in full battle regalia, protecting crowds of people from the next terrorist act which may occur, or maybe they're investigating a terrorist act that just occurred. The police, by their very presence, incite fear and later anxiety, along with a certain amount of comfort that they give us through their security. It's a mixed message. The meta-message, the overriding message is, if so many security forces are required for our safety, there must be something really dangerous out there for us to be afraid of. And in fact, there is. There are 1.5 billion Muslims in the world. 10% of 1.5 billion is 150 million. 1% of 
1.5 billion is 1.5 million. One-tenth of 1% of 1.5 billion is still 150,000 people. 150,000 people. One-tenth of 1%. One-tenth of 1% is a tiny percentage. All kinds of things have higher percentages than that. We have 1% of our population is schizophrenic. 1% or percent and a half of our population are obsessive-compulsive disorder. One-tenth of 1% is a little tiny number, but it's when it's one-tenth of 1% of one and a half billion, it's a big number. It's 150,000. Given our understanding of what is being asked of that total Muslim population, it's reasonable to state that there are 150,000 Muslims, one-tenth of 1%, who are potentially ready, willing, and able to perpetrate acts of terror. These terror killers, who have branded themselves ISIS, no relation to the Egyptian goddess, are using religion as their ultimate terrorist recruiting ground. Dear friends, I say with a certain sadness that I believe the truth to be that we, the United States of America, are a country at war, and we better face the fact that we are at war. Our adversaries in this war are fanatical organized killers, Fokkers, F-O-K-E-R-S, fanatical organized killers. And the Fokkers are misguidedly calling themselves ISIS or ISIL by the media and by leaders all over the world. I think this, allowing them this title is a gross mistake. These titles, ISIS, ISIL, give the killer's cause a dignity which they neither deserve or in, are entitled to. These killers are not an Islamic state of Iraq and Syria, ISIS, nor are they an Islamic state of Iraq and the Levant, ISIL. They're not a state. These killers are not a state. They're a gang. They are pure and simple, fanatical, organized killers, fuckers, and that's what we should be calling them. We should be immediately be referring to them as killers or fuckers. Think for a moment about how our renaming would affect these killers, how it would affect their public relations and their marketing and recruiting plan. Would not a disenfranchised young person be more attracted to joining a group with a sexy name like the Egyptian goddess Isis than joining something which sounds like fuckers? I pledge my life to Isis? or I pledge my life to the Fockers. We must come to grips with the fact that we are at war with these Fockers. The war will take a period of time to complete before the Fockers are exterminated. And during this time, sadly, they will continually draw out more of our blood. Since the killers we are at war with have no army, navy, or marines, they utilize asymmetrical warfare in the form of killing innocent civilians. This is their way to create terror, anxiety. Acts of killing to create terror are physical, but mostly psychological warfare. The killers want us to promote fear and division. They want us to fight amongst ourselves, including fighting about how we fight with them. 
the more divided we are, the weaker we are. We cannot and we will not allow them to divide us. Instead, dear neighbors, let them unite us. A time of war is a time to unite. We stand together to protect our way of life. Our founding fathers, yesterday was July 4th, pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor by standing together in the name of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This fanatical organization of killers is challenging us to stand together as Americans and show the world who we are. This is a time for people of all walks of life to stand together. The 1% must stand with the 99%. Whites must stand with blacks and browns and yellows and any other color on the surface of our skin. Straights must stand with gays and bi's and trannies. Christians must stand with Jews, Buddhists, Confucianists, and yes, Muslims. Urbans must stand with rurals, talls with shorts, skinnies with fats, rights with lefts. When we are at peace, we can afford to argue and fight amongst ourselves as we do. But when we are at war, we must stand together as one. E pluribus unum. Today, we have as our guest, Dr. Jim Peel. Dr. Jim Peel spends a significant time of his life traveling the world, teaching people about something he calls mindset. Jim Peel received his degree at Baylor Medical School. His doctoral degree and certification is an NLP master trainer and a Tilt 365 coach, all of which demonstrate his ongoing commitment to education, creativity, and excellence. Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics, Dr. Jim Peel. Thank you. It's great to be here. Great to have you here. You and I have known each other for a long time, and I've, I've watched your career ascend. I, uh, I listened to and watched, actually, some of your talks on YouTube last night. Folks, if you want to watch Dr. Jim Peel and see him in person, he is beautiful to look at. He's terrific <laughs> to watch. Just go to YouTube and type in Dr. Jim Peel, P-E-A-L, and you will see him as I did in all his living glory. And as I mentioned to him last, uh, right before the show, you'll also see his beautiful daughter introducing him at a great speech he gave in Singapore. <laughs> Jim, you heard, uh, you heard my introduction. We're going to try yeah. and tie that to your talk today. Uh, first, Absolutely. I'd like you to talk to us about what you mean when you say mindset. What is a mindset? Great. Well, a mindset is a decision that we make. And we can, make, we can have mindsets about ourselves, about other people, about the situation that we're in. And that decision that we make triggers our body in a certain way. It triggers a physiological response. So like you were talking about when we see a bear or when we, you know, a car almost hits us, there's an automatic reaction that we have. And then we might form, we might make a decision about that. And once we make our minds up about something, that becomes part of how we set our mind or we have a mindset or attitude. That mindset determines our reaction to things. 
So I can tell a little story because uh, I used to do a, a course for bank tellers on how to deal with difficult people. So there you are. You're a bank teller. You're having a good day. In walks the customer that's having a bad day. They come up to your window. They start pointing their finger at you, raising their voice. And pretty quickly inside of your mind, you go, this person is a jerk. That's the decision right there that you've made. It sets up a feeling inside. It sets up a whole attitude that you have about this person. They finish their temper tantrum, storm out of the bank. What goes on inside your mind? You're going, I can't believe what a jerk that person was. What a jerk, what a jerk. They were so disrespectful. You might even lean over to the other teller and go, did you see what a jerk that person was? And they go, oh, yeah, they were being a jerk. So if two or more agree, then it must be true. And you have that label firmly in your mind, right? So that's the mindset. You've made that decision. A couple of weeks goes by. Guess who shows up at the door of the bank? And what's the first thought in your mind? They're a jerk. That's, that's right. There's that jerk. And I, this time, I'm going to be ready for them. You know, I make my fist up. I ball them up. And, you know, if they come to my window, I'm just going to bop them first because last time they caught me off guard. Or certainly well, I'm going to, if, if not bop them, I'm going to be give them an attitude. I'm going to be ready for them. That's right. You know, the way a bank teller would bop them, you know, it's like, just give them a little attitude. Yeah. So on that day, they're feeling great, you know, and as fate has it, they come to your window and they are, there you are, you know, with that attitude on your face. And they look at you and they go, well, okay. And they put up their, their fist and then you go, see, I'm right. And that's how our mindset begins to trigger other people into a similar reaction. So in other we words, think, the second time they came in, they came in with a great mindset. They came in feeling good. But because you had already set your mind about who they were, you were ready to lose their envelope, uh, miscount their money, <laughs> do anything you could to, make the, to get back at them because you had a mindset. And then even though they were in a good mood, when they saw how you were, then they got into this other combative mood. Is that that's right? That's exactly right. Okay. And then, and because we like to be right about our mindsets, we don't realize that it has an impact on our nonverbal behavior. So I may just have an, a tone in my voice. I may have a look on my face, and then you see that, and you start reacting to that. But I make it look like it's your fault, and that's where we get ourselves into trouble. So people listening to this today and they're thinking to themselves, what kind of mindset do I have about, A, the people that I am going to be working with today, each one different one at the office or the shop or wherever I'm working? So they have these mindsets about, B, my mindset about my domestic partner or my husband or my wife my mindset about my child. In other words, we, you're saying we have mindsets about all kinds of different people that we associate with. Exactly right. And if you, if you just think about the people that you work with, there are some people you have a positive mindset about. There are some people that you have a negative mindset about. And the ones that you have a positive mindset about, you know, when you approach them or you think about them, you're going to probably have some sort of smile on your face. You're going to have a good feeling that's going on. So if you see them in the hallway, that's what they're going to see reflected in you. If it's somebody that you have a negative mindset, you know, you're going to go into combat mode or whatever you do. And when you see them in the hallway or you're going to have a meeting with them, you kind of lock yourself into that mindset. And then that's what they see, and they react to that. Uh, our mindsets kind of come in two basic categories. 
whether we're assuming positive intention about the person or situation or whether we're assuming negative intention. And when we're assuming positive intention, we're really curious. We, you know, we listen with our whole self. We add on to what people say. We really want to walk in their moccasins and kind of get a different viewpoint of the world. We, if we're in conversation with them, it's a very productive conversation. When we're assuming negative intention, we're assuming that, we're assuming that person's out to get us in some way. Uh, either kind of ruin our day, ruin our career, ruin the moment, make us look stupid. We have this uh, mindset basis about them that is, is negative. And so once I've set that up inside of myself, I don't even realize it. I don't realize that I'm having a bad attitude towards that person. And now that I'm, I'm actually contributing to the problem, not really kind of resetting myself so that I can have a positive attitude and create possibly a different outcome. How does the concept of mindset that you're explaining to us, how does that concept transfer over from a mindset we have about other people, friends, family, co-workers, and so on, how does that transfer over to the mindset that we have about ourselves? Give us an elaboration on mindset of self and how that affects our daily life. Well, when we come into this world, uh, we're making decisions. Some of these decisions we actually make while we're in the womb. And they're, they're, again, they're, they're very much unconscious. Uh, the way that people treat us, you know, the expressions that the things that people say to us become embedded into us. And it's very normal for us when we're little and, and open to, if somebody says you're beautiful, we'll take that in and kind of go, oh, I'm beautiful. If somebody says you're stupid, then I'm going to take that in as well and kind of go, oh, I'm stupid. So we can, we, when we're young, we often get those mindsets from the people that are around us. And this is one of the reasons why bullying is so harmful is because you're getting these messages with a, a lot of emotion behind them, and they go deep into our consciousness, and we take those decisions on for ourselves. So, uh, go ahead. Please. Oh, I was going to say, so a mindset about ourselves is typically a decision that we hear somebody else say something about us, and then we take it in and internalize it and believe it as true. So when we hear people exclaiming things about themselves, like, oh, that kind of thing happens to me all the time, or, oh, wouldn't you know it, I lost my glasses again. These are, are exclamations of mindset, aren't they? There's, That's right. They're looking for evidence or finding evidence to validate ways we think about ourselves, often negative ones. Absolutely. And, that's, and we don't even realize that we're doing it. We don't even realize that we've made a decision or that we've internalized something that somebody else said to us. And, and that's part of what our growth is, is like how do we become aware of what our mindsets are you know, about ourselves first, and then about the people and situations that we find ourselves in. That becomes our kind of critical kind of mission of growth in our lives. How can I be aware of 
what are the mindsets that I have about myself? You know, how do I really feel about myself? What are the things that I actually think about myself? So please give us some ideas, give us some concepts about how we can learn about mindsets that we have to teach our listeners. How, how can they learn about ways in which they think about themselves, but they don't even realize they think about themselves that way, and they're sort of stuck in this old habit pattern? Okay. Um, so one way to think about it is, is that there are four kind of basic types of strengths that we have. We have the, the visionary strength, which is about seeing a positive future. It's feeling inspired and motivated to move towards the future. Um, we have an activator strength, which is about how do we get from where we are today to that vision of tomorrow? What are the steps that we need to take in order to get there? And then that fire that kind of gets us moving in that direction. Uh, we have a kind of a coaching strength, which is how we can uh, kind of be there to support ourselves, to support others uh, in their day-to-day -day work. And then the mentoring is the mentoring strength is about wisdom. How do we learn and grow from each of our experiences and create a body of wisdom with the, within us that we can also pass on to other people? Now, each of those strengths has a shadow to it. So the, the visionary strength, which is all about the future, its shadow is the victim. The victim's given up on the future. Their motto to themselves is that it's hopeless and I'm helpless. So when we're in this victim mindset, we feel like we have no power to change anything. Uh, we, uh, an example for me, it happens because uh, I fly a lot. When I'm on my way home after working uh, for a week someplace, you know, the flight gets canceled or, you know, something happens. And it's like I kind of go, oh, I can't do anything about it. That kind of whiny voice that we have inside of ourselves, that's the victim. So those places where you feel powerless, where you feel like you can't do anything, you can't change anything, victims actually kind of take a negative event out of the past and they project it into the future and then think, I can't do anything about that. Wouldn't you so know you just, it? Wouldn't you know it? I missed my <laughs> flight again. Wouldn't you know it? Right? Right. Or it's got canceled again. Or this always happens. It's always, this always you know, happens to me. So It always happens to me. Right. Exactly. So when we hear ourselves being whiny, or it always happens to me, or wouldn't you know it, or those kind of comments, then instead of being inspired and visionary, we're being victims. Exactly right. Mm -hmm. That's right. Uh, the next, uh, the activator who's all about how we get from where we are to the future, its shadow is the adversary. And the adversary would rather be right in a negative way than do what's right. So the adversary is based in anger, and the anger sits on top of fear. So they, when something goes wrong, the adver adversary is looking for whose fault it is, to blame somebody. They're pointing the finger. Uh, they're always upset uh, about somebody else, and it's somebody else's fault. So those idiots, you know, if only they would get it right. And, and they, they have this kind of self-righteousness to them. That's always about, I'm right and you're wrong. That's the, the, the motto of the adversary. So, so when you're finding yourself... Oh, go ahead. No, well, I was going to say, whereas the, 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 ne the nemesis of our, of our visionary part, the, the, the one that is inspired to look to the future, the nemesis is the victim. 
this nemesis, uh, the victim who blames ourselves, then this nemesis blames somebody else. But in That's both, right. but in both cases, it's blame which just eats up our energy rather than allows us to do these other things which are so positive, the visionary and the activator. Is that right? That's exactly right. Uh-huh. That's exactly right. Uh-huh. Uh, sarcasm is a good indication that we're in the adversary mode. And uh, I can tell you personally, it took me two years to kind of give up being sarcastic. And I, when I looked up the word, the word sarcasm has the, uh, it means the tearing of flesh. So while somebody's being sarcastic, it's like, oh, this is funny, ha, ha, ha. There's always an object of the sarcasm that's a little dig. You know, it's like a little ice pick there in some way. So if you find yourself being sarcastic, that's another way that we're expressing our negativity in a really hostile way instead of a constructive way. That's a terrific clue there, Jim, because we, that's something we can all listen in on when we hear ourselves being sarcastic and you're teaching us that when we hear ourselves being sarcastic, that's a clue that we're playing the blame game and therefore we're powerless because things outside of ourselves are making us miserable and therefore we're miserable people. Exactly right. The other one that shows up a lot at work and probably in relationships as well is frustration. When we're frustrated, when we have a frustrated mindset, we're making that person or that situation wrong because they're not going as fast as we think they should or they're not doing it exactly in the right way. And so we end up with this energy towards them that's really a put-down. And it, it seems like we're just wanting to get stuff done. I mean, that's, that's the, the, underneath the, uh, the adversary. I want to get something done. I want to get some sort of result done but I'm angry about it instead of really passionate about it on the other side. The activator is passionate in a very positive way. Let's, okay, we have a problem that comes up. Let's deal with it. When I'm in frustration, I'm just mad about how it's just not going the way that I want it, and it balls up inside of me. So that's another clue to let you know that you're kind of what I call in the red zone. When you're, frustra- and you're, and you're frustrated and you take it out of, why aren't you talking faster, Jim? We've, everybody's listening here, and we're wasting time. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another way that we can find our to, to be aware of is, is when uh, we might kind of step in and rescue people. And, and the, the, the rescue uh, mindset is, is like, I just want to be needed. And so we'll step in, we'll kind of push people aside and go, okay, I'll do that for you. And the rescuer gets right on the playing field, takes over. But when credit, time for credit to be given out, the rescuer hijacks the credit. Go, oh, it's a good thing that I stepped up. You know, not really truly kind of being a team player and acknowledging the team. They acknowledge and glorify themselves. So this uh, element of kind of stepping in, controlling the situation is another way. Uh, Arrogance, where you think you know everything and nobody knows uh, knows, knows anything, that's another sign to let you know that you're operating from a place of negative intention and putting yourself one up over other people. And all of this comes under the headline of adversarial. That's right. Is that right? That's right. That's right. And the adversary is the nemesis of the activator, the one who is going to gently move us into the future. Right. Good stuff. So, yeah. 
Uh, one other uh, contrast that we can make uh, is with the mentor who's really committed to growth and bringing in wisdom. It's that part of us that reflects on ourselves, that reflects on a situation and kind of goes, oh, what did I learn from that? You know, what do I want to carry forward? Oh, you know, that last interaction I had didn't go that well. I think next time I want to do it this way. You know, we kind of have that, we have that neutrality. We have that ability to reflect. If somebody gives us some negative feedback, we kind of go, we ask questions, you know, versus getting defensive. Uh, and that's what sits aside from, uh, on the other side of the cynic. So the cynic is, uh, doesn't believe in anything. The cynic doesn't uh, believe in people, doesn't believe in things working, just believes that it's just going to be miserable for the rest of eternity. Life, and This it, is just the way life is. Exactly. So that's another way, if you just go, this is just the way that it is, and it's kind of a cold anger that you have about the world. It's different than the victim who kind of feels deflated. The cynic kind of feels self-justified, and it's just the way that it is, and that's just the way people are, and they, they write everything off. So this is the opposite of the T-shirt that says, life's a beach. This is the T-shirt that we see people wearing that say, <laughs> life sucks. Right? That's right. Isn't that what the, Life is hard and then you die. Life is hard, then you die, and it sucks all right. the way. Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. And so people, so, then what, let's just get back to your, the original title of your talk, Anatomy of a Mindset. You're dissecting it for us, and you're saying that the cynic then walks around in life with a mindset of life sucks, so it's going to pervade everything. Exactly. And they, what the other thing that cynics do is that they hose down any positivity that's around them. Uh, I was up working in a, in a, uh, up in Canada last year and a gentleman, you know, raised his hand and he goes, well, you know, this whole place sucks. You know, the, the leadership sucks. Our equipment sucks. You know, my boss sucks. Everything sucks. And I have to be here for five more years and it's just going to be horrible. And uh, the person next to him goes, raises his hand and goes, well, you know, I just started working here, and I, I like the leadership. I like my boss. We have an equipment plan, and I'm looking forward to my career here. And the cynic turned and looked at him and goes, oh, don't worry. That will change. <laughs> You'll find out. And that's what, when you're in the cynical mindset, you hose down any positivity that's around you. It's the essence of misery loves company. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Now, there's one more that you mentioned. You mentioned the visionary and the victim, the activator and the adversary, the mentor and the cynic. And then we want to, I want you to talk a little bit about the coach. But before, right. before you do, I want to tell our listeners, just remind you, you're listening to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Miller. And with us today is Dr. Jim Peel. You can find Jim on YouTube. Just go to YouTube and type in Dr. Jim Peel, P-E-A-L. You'll see some great tubes. And we're talking today about mindset. And we're, Jim is dissecting what a mindset is for us. Talk a little bit about coaching. What, how does the concept of coaching tie into mindset? Coaching is how we connect with each other, especially when we're at work, to really help a person to support them in their day-to-day -day task to be successful. So when you approach a situation 
You know, what does a good coach do? A good coach reflects to you what you're doing. A good coach may ask you to think about things in a different way. Uh, a coach instills, has a trust in you. You know, they, they let you make mistakes uh, in a way that will, you can learn and grow from them and, and do that particular task better. Uh, a coach doesn't, you know, they don't mince their words. They're not harsh, but they're very direct. And so they're, they're transparent with what they think and what they feel in a way that's constructive and very supportive for you. And, and that sits across from, uh, the, as I was talking about earlier, the rescuer who has a superior mindset, you know, who controls. So somebody uh, that micromanages, uh, they don't trust. They don't really, uh, they're not really helping the person be successful. They feel like they have to control the situation in order for it to turn out to be successful. And that's one difference between the rescuer and the coach is that the, the, the rescuer doesn't trust, but they control. So in those situations uh, where I work with a team and everyone on the team is going, our leader is just micromanaging us. When I go and talk with the, 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 the leader and I say, do you trust these people to do their jobs? Very often the answer is no. So then the leader must determine what does that person, by person on the team need, you know, coaching, instruction, courses, so that they can be successful in doing their work. That's how the, the rescuer turns into the coach is that they actually begin to pass on knowledge and information to them so that they can be successful in their day-to-day -day work. In further dissecting uh, the anatomy of a mindset, uh, you put together a chart, uh, which if our listeners will go to, and you can tell them how to go to it on the Internet, uh, you call uh, a, a chart checking your tood. And when you look down at the chart, it, it looks like the periodic uh, chart of the elements. But instead, you've got a chart of various ways of understanding what our mindset is. Tell us about the check your tood uh, scale. I'm looking at it right now on my cell phone, by the way. Okay. Uh, it's at www.checkyourtude.com. And um, this is a, uh, a table. This idea kind of popped in my head one day when I was hiking up in Yosemite. It's a table of the mindsets that we typically find ourselves specifically at work. Uh, and on one side, uh, on the right side of the chart, we can see the four strengths, the visionary, the activator, the coach, and the mentor, uh, which lead us to be of service to ourselves and others. On the, and and that, those are green mindsets. On the other side, uh, on the left side, we see the shadows of those strengths. We see the victim, the adversary, the rescuer, and the cynic, which lead us to be sabotaging of ourselves and others. And then in between each of the rows, we find uh, there are four mindsets that we commonly find at work uh, that on the green side, in the visionary row, there's a committed mindset, there's a curious mindset, a creative mindset, an inspired mindset. And then on the shadow side, we have, on the victim side, we have resigned, suspicious, envious, and defensive. So each of these is the opposite. So the, the, the resigned is the opposite of committed. The suspicious is the opposite of curious. 
the envious, the opposite, not quite opposite, but the other side of creative. This is a terrific chart. Yeah. So at a glance, uh, if you find yourself in the red, which is over on the left-hand side, either in the victim row, the adversary row, the rescuer, or the cynic row, you can uh, find the mindset that most closely goes with how you're thinking and feeling in, the, in that moment. And then you can look on the other side, because they are arranged in a symmetrical fashion, to find the mindset that will neutralize that and put you in a constructive state instead of a destructive state. Then the other terrific thing you've done here is you've made it possible to understand what you mean by each of these, elaborate on each of these, because if I, let's say I go here and I'm, I'm feeling, uh, I'm feeling uh, cynical, and then yep. you've, you've got, uh, and I notice that I'm feeling, and h how might I notice it? Well, you, you say, well, I might notice it if I, if, I'm, if I notice I'm feeling skeptical or critical or I feel insulted, how dare you, or I feel <laughs> judgmental, and then what I can do is tap on one of, your, one of the little boxes that you created here, like I'm going to tap on the one that says uh, insulted, and I tap on it, I just did, and then I get an elaboration, insulted, and it says an expression uh, to attack or assault, uh, insolent or contemptuously rude, and then you can you say you can recognize your feelings that you're insulted when you come out with things like, "Who do you think you are?" or "You're such an idiot," or "You expect me to work here?" or "That's not my job. I don't get paid to do that task." So so you're you're giving us ways here to look at our own thoughts and behavior. Like, who do you think you are? If I'm feeling that way, I know I'm feeling insulted. And then I know I'm in the red because if I go back to the big chart, the other side of insulted is, what is it? Confident. Uh, confident. It's confident, right. And it's right here in the green. So then I'm in the green and I'm not in the red. Right. So in, in each of the boxes, especially on the red side, it gives you, you know, definition. It lets you know. How do you know? What, what can you be aware of? What's driving that mindset? And then how can you get yourself over into the, a positive mindset, into the green? Um, and each little box, when you click on it, gives you a little thumbnail, gives you a little sketch, something to, to go on so that uh, you can be aware because that's the first step. Very often our mindsets are, in our, are unconscious to us. So if we're in a negative place, we can look at this chart. It helps us become aware, oh, I'm actually... I'm actually controlling right now, or I'm actually envious. It, it kind of breaks it down for us so we can be aware, and then we can click on that box, get some more information about how we can shift. Now, one of, the, one of the things that happens when we get into a negative state is our body, our brain, secretes certain hormones. Uh, we secrete adrenaline. We secrete cortisol. These are the fight-and-flight hormones. They activate our, They activate our body to either go fight something or run away from it. And when, we, <clears throat> when these hormones get secreted, it creates that kind of energy rush, which as you were talking about earlier, if, it, if there's a bear there, we get energized so we can run away from it or probably not fight it, but run away. Uh, when we're in a situation, like you were saying, with, when there's anxiety, 
it's because we've mentally created a state where we feel threatened in some way. And I think this ties back to the, the terrorism that's going on around us, that we see it and then we kind of extrapolate it and think, oh, it could happen to me. And then I start feeling fearful inside when nothing's really happened to me. And the body begins to secrete that adrenaline and cortisol, and I keep having the same thought over and over again, and I get stuck into a loop. And we get into these negativity loops, and we don't even realize it. And the amygdala, which is the emotional part of the brain, actually shuts down the cortex. And we can't really think our way out of it. Now, the key here is when you find yourself in one of these states is you need to pause. You need to just take a few breaths. That whole notion of counting to 10. We need to put our mind on something else so that our system can calm down so that we can clear that adrenaline and cortisol out of our bloodstream. So we need a way to, number one, be aware and then to pause. And that pause it takes at least 90 seconds for the adrenaline and cortisol to begin to go out of our system, sometimes a little bit longer. That's why going for you know a jog, a run, exercising, going for a walk, doing some deep breathing, just so we can reset our system, that allows us to actually begin to think in differently about the situation. So Tom, to Thomas, Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson was on the right track when he said... When you're feeling emotion, count to 10, and if that doesn't work, then count to 100, because if you, if, you, if you count to 100, that would be approximately 90 seconds, and that's what you're telling us 240 years later is about the a minimum amount of time we need in order to get these various neurochemicals to quiet down. Exactly, exactly. If you uh, click on the angry uh, mindset, there's a little meme in the corner, and it says, angry? Don't count to 10. Look at bunny. And there's a picture of a little bunny there. So <laughs> we just need to put our minds on something else to let ourselves calm down. Then we can begin to look, okay, okay what's going to be a constructive way to approach this? You know, if, if, I, if I, for myself personally, uh, with all of the terrorism acts that have been going on, uh, and and it's a, what you did as well, which is like, I have a vision of peace. I have a vision of us, you know, being together. I have a vision of us working towards this. I have a vision, and that kind of resets my body and allows me to kind of feel peaceful. It's like, this is not what my life is about. You know, my life is not about terrorism. My life is not about being afraid. It's about peace. It's about, you know, honoring and respecting each other. And we want to be able to pause for a moment and imagine a future. So that's the visionary strength. What are the steps that we can begin taking to get there? That's the activator strength. How can we support others, you know, to, to kind of readjust their mindset so that they can begin, you know, act, moving ourselves into a constructive place? And then what's the wisdom that we're learning? You know, what's the wisdom that we can carry forward, which is if we have a for me, a firm mindset about ourselves, which is like, I'm not going to be stupid, but on the other hand, I'm not going to be afraid all the time. I want to take and support constructive action, you know, to, so that we can eliminate terrorism, so that we can do something about it. That's what begins to have me set a new 
response, a new set of mindsets for myself in this world that we find ourselves in today. When you mentioned anger, you know, I looked up anger on your chart and you give uh, the readers some clues as to how they know when they're angry, such as thinking, I'm shocked that you said what you said, or I'm outraged, uh, you're irritating me to no end, I want to wring your neck, well then you know for sure you're angry. Who do you think you are? I think often we might say, who do you think you are, without realizing that means that we're angry. And then, of course, the adrenaline, as you point out, and the other neurochemicals are flowing. I thought it would be fun. I, I want to read a few things that you wrote down as, descripti okay. as descriptions of anger, uh, because the, you, I just think you did such a great job. Uh, here's one quote. You say, holding on to anger is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. I, I, think, I think that's a great one. Here's another one. Anger is the wind which blows out the lamp of the mind. That's, that's fair. Here's another one. I think it's your own choice if you can turn from an angry young man to a bitter old bastard. Oh, I don't know. I retract that. Excuse me. I'm not supposed to. I think that may be one of the words I'm not supposed to stay on the air. Mike is shaking his head. He's not sure. But just in case, I retract. Uh, but here's the last one, and this is just so great. Speak when you're angry, and you will make the best speech you will ever regret. <laughs> <laughs> these are really these are really good and uh, I, I, I really I, I want to encourage our listeners to go to this chart uh, to the chart of the Tudes and um, and, and read and read some of this stuff it's so good um, and, and it's so easy to navigate and then five steps take us through some of the steps and let them hear your voice taking us through the steps to checking your attitude. That's a, that's a nice way. We have a few minutes left, and that'll be a great way to end the show. How to check your attitude. Check your, check your tood, dude. Check your tood. <laughs> that's right. So the first thing is, is to identify, you know, two or three of your strengths in the, in the green. You know, what is it that really energizes and motivates you in a positive way? Because it's, it's always important. It's always important to start with what our strengths are and to start with something positive. So as things come up, we have a place for our minds to go. Then the next step is to think about a situation, you know, or a person that triggers you to go into a negative place. Then you can look on the chart to go. Where is it that you go when you're dealing with this person? You know, what's the one or two different mindsets that are there? And then to slow it down, to really go, what's the thought that you're having about that person or situation that sets you into a negative motion? Because it's a thought that we're having about that person, and that's the decision that actually gets us into a negative place. So that's the, uh, the first part of awareness. It's like, what's the situation? Where do you go uh, in the red? And then what's the thought that starts you spinning in a negative way? Then you want to pause. Okay, so take a few breaths, you know, relax, put your mind on something positive. And the fourth step is to identify the positive attitudes that would be useful for you to hold in that particular situation. So find one or two in the green side, and then kind of imagine if you were coming from that positive strength, from that positive attitude, what would be different? 
what would be different in terms of how you feel, uh, what you say, the questions that you ask, and to really kind of just work it into your system with two or three of those uh, positive attitudes. And then the, fi- the fifth and final step is the anchor. How can you remember to go to this positive place even before you go to that situation or you have to talk to that person? And you want to have a way, whether it's a symbol, it could be a, a little dove, it could be a, a catchy tune, it could be the words, take a step back, or, you know, this is not, don't, this is not, those aren't fighting words, whatever it is, it can be something that's funny, something that kind of triggers you to remember, I want to approach this person or this situation with a positive mindset. And that's the steps. Those are the five steps, identifying your strengths, the situation, pausing for a moment, choosing a positive attitude, and then what's the reminder so that you can trigger that positive reaction even before you arrive, because your attitude arrives before you do. So we want to set our mind ahead of time before we deal with that person or situation. I've called Comcast on the phone four times. Every time I call him on the phone, I'm on hold for 23 minutes. I finally get through to a person. The person transfers me to another person. That person transfers me to another person. I'm finally on the phone with the third person. I've been on the phone now on hold for 43 minutes. I start talking to that third person, and it looks like something is going to go somewhere. And all of a sudden, I'm disconnected. I'm (laughs) I'm there with just a phone in my hand. I call back for one more time. And whoever answers the phone, I'm ready to eat them alive for breakfast, for lunch, and for dinner. Okay, so I'm in the red. I know I'm in the red. I'm frustrated. I'm angry. I'm ready to be sarcastic. And who knows what else? Okay, help me here, Jim. What do I do? I pause. That's right. I pause. I pause. I've got to be calm. Okay, I breathe. I get myself down. I say to myself, hey, this is just a human being that's going to answer the phone. They don't know anything about all my history. They're just going to try and help me. Right, exactly. That's And I kind of would kind of go, okay, well, this is Murphy's Law. I mean, isn't it like I, like I started laughing when you were going through this, because certainly I've, I've gone through that exact same scenario. And it's like, I just have to laugh, because it's so funny how we... Like you were talking about how many hours we spend, you know, on our phones and computer screens, you know, how we get lost in this web of, you know, when we call, we don't get to talk to a person. It becomes laughable. And so if I can get that kind of a, a, there's kind of a humor to it, uh, I can begin to look at the situation differently. I mean, that's, that's what it is for me. You can look in the green. What would be a good place for you to come from in that situation? Well, to begin with, I see humorous. I see that it's it's right here, H U. It's just great, like a, a, an element. So I think you know, if I can if I can get myself calm enough and start laughing, that's going to be that's going to be good. If I can be creative, if I can be creative, how can I handle this in a way that's going to be different? If I right. can be passionate and yet at the same time creative 
and, and, and humorous, I think I can, and, and then of course accepting, accepting of the fact that there's a human being on the other end and they're just trying to do their job. Jim, I'm getting a signal here that it's time for us to bring, bring this to a conclusion. I want to thank you, Dr. Jim Peel. I want to thank you so much for being with us today. I want to tell our listeners, please go to YouTube and watch some of his lectures. He's terrific. Go to YouTube, Dr. Jim Peel. And of course, go to this website. Give us the website on Attitude, Jim. It's checkyourtude.com. Checkyourtude.com. Jim, thank you very much for being with us today. I look forward to having you on the program again. Thank you, Dr. Miller. Take care. And for those listening to today's broadcast of Mind, Body, Health, and Politics, Thank you so much for listening. Please join me again in exactly two weeks at 9 o'clock Pacific Daylight Time. Until then, this is Dr. Richard Miller reminding you that good health is working hard for, and it's essential for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness.